the rise to say 11 and a half that we're expecting is going to happen over the next month. Then you get the correction. And then you get the correction in equity markets. That is a buying opportunity to take you into the collapse in, say, end 2023, early 2024. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with commodity and macro analyst Simon Hunt. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Simon, in which he lays out the trajectory that he predicts for a breakdown of the global financial system by 2025, head over to our channel at youtube.com Wealthion and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment options we discuss in this video. And be sure to stick around for the second half of this video, where we address the recent sharp market rally. Is it a turnaround or simply a bear rally trap? As well as the implications of the two-year, 10-year yield curve, which finally inverted this week. Does that mean a recession is baked in for later this year? For all this and more, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Simon Hunt. But you can apply that to, to really almost kind of any material that gets pulled out of the earth here. Um, and my sense is, is that as uh, the world wakes up to that, uh, it's going to start putting a lot of pressure on um, these the, the cooperation that has emerged post-World War II amongst many uh, nations around the world. It's, it's been a wonderful period of tranquility and, and cooperation. But as, as key resources begin to become scarcer, I think it's going to be a little bit more like every country for itself. And, and you're already sort of saying that China and Russia and some of these BRIC companies are, are already you know, beginning to say, yeah, you know, we, we, we want to start locking in more of this stuff for ourselves. We don't want you know, a big player like the U.S. to be able to kind of dictate what happens uh, with you know, these key resources, like the way that you know, the U.S. has basically made oil have to depend on the petrodollar, right? So do, do you see kind of looking forward the next couple of decades, the primacy of access to natural resources becoming a more important part about how the world works? <clears throat> Let's talk about copper. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think there is any shortage for the next 20, 30, 40 years of copper. There are areas where copper has not been explored to the extent that it could have been for political reasons. If you take the DRC as an example, I'm starting to put forward the case that Chile, accounting for so much of the world's copper mine production, is going to lose a lot of its uh, luster for reserve and grade reasons. But actually the real, really undeveloped copper resource in the world is in the DRC. I mean, I can remember decades ago, 
being in the Katanga province with the chief geologist of Union Minière. Union Minière then owned all, all the copper resources in the country. And basically showing me maps to show that we've got enormous undeveloped resources. And in 2010, the US Geological Survey did a study of the potential of the Zambian and Katanga copper belt. And if my memory serves me right, they came up with a figure of 158 million tons of proven resources, but potentially another 160 odd million. And then if you look at um, the grades, I mean, I happen to come across it's public domain, so I can mention it, a, <clears throat> a um, technical study done on the Komoto mines where you had copper grades over 3%, both proven and unproven. I mean, that's, that's a figure three more than three times better than anywhere else. So all I'm saying is it's, it's too simple to say we are running out of resources. Understood. Um, and copper. I'll go back to the Club of Rome's report in 1953. We would have been, I think, five, 10 years ago, we'd have been out of all copper resources. Right, right. So there, there are still, I probably should have amended what I said, which is um, we, we've gone, well, we've gone after the easy to get stuff. Um, the stuff that remains is harder to get, either because in the case of copper, it's either, you know, more dilute uh in the areas that we have easy access to or it's in areas that we historically haven't been able to get easy yeah, access to yeah. like the drc and yeah, kind of to our absolutely. earlier point um to, to my understanding and again you know this better than i but i think the world power that is investing most in africa these days and striking deals for access to its resources is china right Correct. so there's sort of a question out there which is who gets to sort of successfully help unlock what's there in the DRC and, and who gets to exercise control over that, you know, and it might not be uh, a US, you know, Saudi Arabia type of, of relationship where the US has the most favored status. It might be one of these other multipolar players going forward. Well, you can imagine the scenario where countries like Zambia, DRC, say, we want to join this new world. We don't want our resources to be valued in dollars. It's already quietly happening. Behind the scenes, China is actually paying for what it imports, whether it's uh, copper or iron ore or whatever, not in dollars, but in one, it's very small at the stage, but there's clearly a, a moment in time when China is going to say to the Gulf, uh, we'll have your oil, but we'll pay for it in one. 
So in order to do that, they have to clean up their financial system first. Right. And, and do you see this them taking the steps to lay the groundwork for that? I think they've already been taken. Okay. But in terms of cleaning up its financial system and things yeah, like that? Yeah, they, they, they are cleaning it up. Great. And then, you know, you talked about, uh, so, so one may become a major competing currency. We're not necessarily saying it's going to displace the the dollar is the U.S. as a world reserve currency. But I think what you're saying, which I've heard other analysts say, um, Lynn Alden comes to mind, is that, you know, in five, 10 years, uh, it, it may not be a single global reserve currency system. You, you may have Correct. several competing yeah. currencies, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and then, of course, too, you know, you, we, we've talked a little bit about gold, but, you know, there's no reason that companies might, countries might settle certain types of trade in gold. You could trade oil for gold or, or if the one, you know, or this, this Asian uh, weighted uh, currency basket becomes commodity backed in some way, you know, you're, you're, that's sort of a way in which gold or other, other commodities could be used to back a currency than to, to buy other things. So there's, there's basically, I'm, what I'm saying is, is the box is getting shaken up and there could be yes, a lot of different yes, ways. Yes, yes, well trade put. Could happen. Yeah. All right. Well, so let, let's let's try to make this practical now for the average investor, and which is the the viewer of, of these videos, who's um, looking at this map of the future that you've you've kindly laid out for us in such great detail, and is thinking, oh my gosh, okay, there's going to be a lot of change happening in the next couple of years. How do I navigate this? Um, and I'm not necessarily asking you uh, as a metals analyst. Uh, to give sort of personal financial advice here, but what are the uh, what are the biggest opportunities that excite you um, that you think you know a, a regular investor should consider here? Um, and, and maybe I'll just sort of start with copper for a minute. But it sounds like you said, hey, copper may do pretty well for the next six months or so, but then expect it to go down, you know, for a good while. But then it's going to go back up again. You know, are there are there trends like that that you have enough well, confidence I, I, in that you would say yeah, someone should take a look could, at? If we could uh, narrow your 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 statement, I think the 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 rise to say eleven and a half that we're expecting is going to happen over the next month. Then you get the correction, and then you get the correction in equity markets. That is a buying opportunity to take you into the collapse in, say, end 2023, early 2024. So you want to be cashed up in that period of sharply rising asset prices for all the reasons we've been discussing. All right. And sorry, let me just let me let me just repeat that back to make sure I got it. Um, you, you think copper is going to go up in the short term, like next month, it's then going to come down. Um, uh, you then see uh, kind of all asset prices uh, falling through the rest of the year. And then we have that that switch from quantitative tightening to quantitative easing. So basically, you're saying you want to kind of build up cash as everything's falling through the rest of this year. But be prepared to deploy it when the the recovery and the inflation continue uh, yeah. comes back. I I I think the um, the weakness in the global business system 
will trough at around about September. And then central banks have completely changed their policies. And that's when you buy for the next 18 months, two years. But that is the opportunity to cash up for the collapse that we see coming. Okay, great, great. Um, all right, and that's very useful. And again, I want to remind everybody that uh, Simon and the position that he's in has been really watching the copper market closely, as I described in the introduction. It really is the heartbeat of the global economy. So his words carry a lot of weight here because he's one of the guys who is the closest <laughs> to, I think, one of the most dependable leading indicators that's going on here. Um, so, Simon, what, what you've said, what I like could to- I, Could I qualify that statement? Absolutely, please. <laughs> um, Dr. Copper lost its doctorate several years ago because in every copper spike, games have been played that take copper out of the reporting system to make the market look tighter than it actually is. That goes all the way back to the 1960s. Let me quote something that we pulled out in 2011. In its latest filings, JP Morgan stated that in addition to the reported circa 568,000 tons in exchange stocks in 2010, there was a further 2.53 million tons in the physical market. BlackRock stated that the amount of copper in exchange approved warehouses at the end of 2010 was roughly one fifth of the total global refined copper inventories, meaning that the total outside the exchange warehousing system was more than 2.8 million tons. More wow. or less the same thing today. And who is who is kind of controlling that? <laughs> who, who... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but just when we think of, uh, and we talk a lot on this program about um, kind of some of the shenanigans that are pulled um, by the big players with lots of advantage to protect their advantage. Uh, it sounds like this is an example of one of those. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'm going to start trying to wrap it up here, Simon. First off, thank you so much for giving us so much detail uh, in this interview here. Um, I think one of the very key takeaways here is you're saying, look, um, there's going to be kind of one last uh, great opportunity for today's investors uh, to position themselves for what will be a pretty big uh, rollover in financial asset prices coming some point in 2023. Um, so folks should prepare for that now and then be positioned for once that happens um, to, and I'm gonna say this is some point in 2023, early 2024, you know, deploy your assets um, where valuations are much lower than they are today to be able to then ride the next big great uh, uptrend. So I think that's a, a wonderful nugget that you're giving people here. 
Um, Simon, um, any parting advice to today's investor that's just hoping to make through the next couple of years uh, with their wealth intact? Uh, no, I think, I think you've summed it up brilliantly. Yeah, uh, you're very kind. All right, well, look, for people who have really enjoyed getting to tap your brain for this past hour and would like to follow you and your work, where can they go? Uh, very simple. You can email me at simon at shss.com. All right. Well, you're very kind and very courageous to put your email address out there like that. When we edit this, I will put it up on the screen so folks are very clear on, on where to send the email to. Uh, I'll warn you in advance, you may get a little overwhelmed by the response here, Simon, but thank you for, for making that generous <laughs> offer. Simon, thanks so much. Look forward to having you on the program again in the future well, soon. Thank you very much for having me. I much enjoyed it. Thanks. All right. Well, let me bring in John Lodra, lead partner from New Harbor Financial, to react to what Simon just said. And John, it's also been a pretty substantive week in the markets where we've seen some very important developments, uh, both in terms of yield curve and just the, the strength of the market action recently. So uh, I'm excited to talk about all this with you. Why don't we just start with your reaction to what Simon said? Yeah, well, thank you, Adam. Great to be back with you. Um, man, you know, uh, I, I, uh, one of the things that fascinates us about our jobs is obviously we have great person-to-person uh, -person conversations with our clients, but we also need to be taking in a lot of perspectives and, and data and, and, uh, and analysis to be able to uh, help our clients navigate a very complicated landscape. And uh, wow, I mean, Simon, I mean, clearly he's got a lot of perspective and experience. Um, you know, I, I'm not an age, uh, age uh, fortune teller here, but he looks like he, uh, from his depth of, of, of speech and his bio, he's been around the economy uh, from abroad and, and you know, um, you know uh, tangible way, literally and figurative, figuratively with his uh, expertise in the co copper market. So he certainly has some, some very, uh, you know, uh, credible perspectives on, on economic cycles and, and whatnot. Um, you know, I, uh, I think he lays out a very compelling or conceivable um, range of scenarios, frankly. And I, I prefer not to try to like, um, with specificity, talk about uh, degrees of moves and timings of those moves. But what he talks about there is, I think, um, with the backdrop of the system that we have right now with massive, massive debt, massive monetary policy intervention, uh, you know, grotesquely overvalued asset prices, largely the result of those uh, monetary policies and whatnot, you know, as, as um, stark and even scary a scenario he lays out, uh, I think, unfortunately, it's a conceivable one. Um, and one that I think really uh, compels folks, you know, certainly people sitting in our seat, helping folks with their hard-earned assets, but also our clients and, and any folks that, that look after their assets on their own to really, um, you know, take heed that, that we probably have some very challenging times ahead. And, and uh, as scary as that might be and feel, uh, the best defense of that is in fact, in fact that a defensive posturing investment and otherwise. And that's certainly what we've been preaching and continue to preach until some of these concerning factors that are stacked up uh, in, in a negative way start to um, um, kind of abate and, and become less extreme. All right. And look, John, I mean, you and I have known one another for years, uh, I think actually over a decade uh, that we've we've worked together. And um, we've had a lot of discussions about 
I think some of the big macro concerns that Simon raised, um, a big one just being sort of like, you know, how, how does the unsustainability that's currently in the system all end, right? And what was interesting to me is, is Simon is you know, one of the few folks I've talked to who kind of put an end date on that. I mean, he, he basically said by middle of this decade, he sort of expects there to be that big clearing event that where all the bad debts, you know, basically get cleared from the system one way or another. But, but my sense from talking to him is it was going to be through default. Um, and, and that's probably what's going to need to happen here at some point, folks, just one way or another, uh, whether it's, it's debts defaulting or whether they truly get hyperinflated away. Um, but uh, not saying he's right, not saying he's wrong, but, you know, the arc that he drew out there of, um, you know, most of the rest of this year being asset prices and the economy in decline, then kind of a short-lived recovery. I'm saying that in air quotes because uh, it's going to be accompanied, at least in the way that Simon sees it, with uh, high persisting inflation that basically just grinds uh, the system down into sort of a stagflationary uh, halt, which is when this big corrective event happens here. Um, he talked about how other countries are, are basically now mobilizing to create other currency blocks and maybe, maybe back them with hard assets. Gold was one of the ones we talked about, obviously. Um, whether all that's right or wrong, um, the way in which I know you guys at New Harbor are currently positioned, but, but have been positioned for the long run, your strategy is one that should work well if he's right. Um, because you take a lot, you've got your eye on a lot of those same risks and you're, 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 you're playing, you know, both a relatively conservative and a relatively long game here. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, do you agree? I mean, do you feel like, look, if, 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 if Simon's projections there actually get played out to the letter, how do you think you guys are going to perform given how you're positioned? Yeah, no, I, I do agree, Adam. Um, that doesn't mean it's easy, right? Even, you know, I think no matter what happens over the, the balance of this year and the next several years, it's going to be very, very frustrating for everybody. Frustrating and scary. Um, our positioning and our, our kind of um, advice to clients and folks we talk to today, um, we think will be very well suited for kind of the negative and, and downside scenarios that we think, much like a, what I think Simon thinks are, are, are more or less baked into the cake. It's just a question of when they come to roost, right? Now, when I say it's likely to be frustrating is we can't rule out a, um, a further, you know, extremity of, of these, you know, very extreme valuations, these very extreme disjointed realities between markets and the underlying economic and, and you know, policy situation. Uh, and, and that's what I guess I would um, say to folks that, you know, a good plan doesn't mean it won't be frustrating. In fact, you know, if markets in a cliche kind of way are doing their job, they're going to make it as frustrating and hard and emotionally agonizing to do, to do truly what is the right thing. Um, that, that is the, the kind of humble kind of um, caveat, I would say, uh, to, to our approach and our, our suggested positioning. It's going to be really hard to keep your your psychology and your wits about you when these kinds of extreme, you know, bounces or counter trends like we've seen over the last handful of days, frankly, uh, happen because it's going to feel like it's wrong. Right, right. Well, and look, and you know, volatility by definition is going to surprise everybody, right here. So, not trying to make any guarantees. Uh, what I'm just trying to underscore here is, you guys are the type of financial advisor that thinks about these 
trends and themes and has been for a long time. And I, I just mentioning that in contrast to, I think, sort of the stereotypical investment advisor, stockbroker out there who, when a lot of our viewers, you know, have reached out to that type of person in the past, have just been told, oh, don't worry about it. You're worrying too much. The market will always take care of you. Uh, you know, don't worry your pretty little head over it, right? So I, I just wanted to paint that contrast. Um, all right. Well, so I mentioned that this past week actually had a lot of really important developments in it. Let's get started digging into it. You sent over some charts, John, so I'll let you get in the driver's seat here on which you want to talk about first, the rally that we've been seeing or the fact that uh, the yield curve has inverted. And when I say yield curve, I actually mean all the different various types of yield curves, but even importantly, the 210 yield curve. Yeah, Adam, I think uh, we can't you know, uh, avoid the uh, reality that the markets, the stock market has uh, waged one of its most blistering short-term uh, rallies. We think it's likely a bear market rally um, as opposed to a this, the signal is all clear to go up for multi-year uh, or even multi-month uh, uh, further rises to the upside. I've sent you a chart there that we can kind of look at. This is prepared by... Um, uh, I believe Bank of America. Yeah, and in fact, this accompanied a note that they had put out, a uh, research note that basically uh, raises the checkboxes that this has, you know, very fam familiar markings of a, of a bear market rally. In other words, a very frustrating, I talked about being frustrated by a, a properly defensive approach. This is what it looks and feels like the last, uh, you know, week or so, or 10 days or a couple of weeks. Uh, in fact, this chart is a little dated in that it was only a through March uh, March 28th. I think the actual the market's down a little bit today. So if we look at yesterday's um, peak, it was about a, almost an 11% recent uh, over the last recent number of days, uh, almost straight move up without a without a, a breath in, in, in the market. So, but you can see these stack up pretty. Uh, you know, um, there this has happened before. If you look back in uh, October of 1931, for example, there was a 19% uh, 10 day. Um, you know, rally in the market. And of course, that was right in the middle of a, a major Great Depression decline. Uh, you look at, um, you know, even more recently in December of 08, 12.3%. Obviously, the markets fell quite considerably further right through uh, March of 09 there. Point being is, is um, while it's tempting to think that this vicious move higher is all a sign of all clear, there certainly is plenty of historical uh, evidence or, or anecdotes here that a powerful rally like this, sometimes the most powerful short-term rallies are just, um, you know, kind of uh, snapbacks in the context of a much more ugly and longer term uh, bear market decline that still has plenty of downside to go. Great. All right. Well, look, before we get to the yield curves, I just want to make one comment uh, about that chart there, um, which is there's an old adage that the role of a bear market is to take the most money from the most people. Right. And, um, you know, only history or only the future will tell once we're looking back whether this indeed was a bear market rally or not. Uh, but if it is, um, you know, the goal of these violent rallies is to get everybody back onto the bus right before the bus drives off the cliff. Right. <laughs> so I'm not necessarily guaranteeing that this is indeed a bear market rally, but I'm saying if you're if you're tempted to get back in here and you decide to put capital into play, um, take it off the sidelines and put it in the markets, that's fine. That's your choice. Just pay heed to what John's saying here of what could happen if indeed this is a bear market rally. 
Yeah, so I guess we'll, uh, you know, talking about the yield curve. Yeah, so there have been over the last um, handful of days and, and you, know, you know, right around since when the Fed, had, you know, announced their, uh, you know, quarter point raise and, and their pros, pros, you know, projection for, you know, up to seven rate increases this year. Um, you know, we've seen a number of yield curves invert. And, and for those folks who aren't familiar with the terminology, what that speaks to is in a, in a healthy economy, a growing economy, uh, one where uh, the price of money is, is, is not distorted, uh, typically you'll find that longer dated bonds, uh, bonds with uh, maturity dates that are longer dated, will yield a higher rate of interest than shorter dated bonds. And, you know, most folks even know this from when, you know, they go to the bank and, and you know, buy a CD, for example. It's, it's pretty elementary that typically longer dated CDs uh, should or often historically did uh, yield a, a higher rate of interest than shorter. And that makes sense because, you know, a, a lender, which is a, a bond owner, is a, a bond, you know, buyer is essentially a lender. Um, you want to you want to get rewarded with a higher rate of interest for tying your money up in that loan for a longer period of time. Now, when when that dynamic is reversed, meaning that the longer dated uh, bond yields are lower than the shorter dated so-called inversion, that historically has been a very, very unhealthy development. In fact, as a chart here that I've, I've, I've shared with Ada, uh, Adam uh, put together by Bloomberg, will attest, you know, typically when you see a, an inversion of say the two year versus the 10 year treasury bond, um, you know, it, it's almost imminently, uh, uh, nothing's a guarantee, but it's highly predictive of an imminent recession, um, which, you know, uh, the bottom line is it's not a healthy outcome. And when you consider the fact that the Fed has just started uh, a, a rate increase campaign that they have been very publicly um, communicated is just to start in several necessary and, and urgently needed, frankly, uh, uh, rate increases, that's even more concerning because it has the potential to invert uh, that situation even, even more profoundly. Um, and, and even though the Fed has, has communicated a, you know, a, a, a kind of a um, systematic and, and calm and orderly, maybe seven rate increases this year, there's increasingly folks outside and even within the Fed that think that they're going to have to do more. Uh, James Bull, actually Fed um, um, Dudley, who used to be the head of the New York Fed, was out just yesterday, the day before, saying that the Fed has to do more and uh, and it's almost guaranteed they're going to have to accept a hard landing in the economy to do what they need to do to curb inflation and some of the excesses in the system. So not a good development. It's it's, uh, it's historically a very concerning development, which just adds to the list of Laundry risk of, of data um, um, you know, points that 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 speak to a, a, you know the prudence of a defensive position. Great, and, and John, real quick, um, I just want to you mentioned the word imminent um, uh, recession. Uh, yeah, the, the yield curve's a predictor of, of recession. Um, I, I just want to caution for folks. Uh, I was looking at some of the historical data recently. Uh, it, it's usually like a year to two years um, before, you know, after the yield curve first inverts um, before the recession hits. That's sort of the average of, of history. Um, so don't necessarily expect us to go into recession, you know, the recession to start next week. 
Um, although who knows, we might already be in one. And, and you know, as, as uh, Lance Roberts has said on this program a couple of times, you know, the NBER tells us, uh, you know, usually nine months to a year after once we've we've started a recession that oh yeah the recession started way back then but we we didn't know until right until, until just now right so oftentimes we're in a recession long before the authorities actually acknowledge it uh but where i'm going with this is is don't necessarily expect the markets uh and the economy you know just to crash tomorrow based on this um this does tend to have you know a, a lead time and a lead time that can be measured in years uh, but what john was just saying there about the aggressiveness that the Fed is taking right now in rate hikes. Um, what's very different this time versus past times when the yield curve is inverted um, is that the Fed is more, it's, it's called more behind the curve uh, than it's ever been, right? So um, where interest rates should be, if you look at the Taylor rule, um, are dramatically higher than where they are right now. And that's basically sort of where interest rates would need to be uh, given current macroeconomic conditions. Um, they've been held artificially low for way too long by the Federal Reserve. And of course, that's now caught up with them. The point being is that when you begin to see the signs of recession or begin to get worried about it, you know, what, what the central banks will do is they will lower rates, right, to ease, to try to goose the economy. Well, rates are still at rock bottom lows. They just don't have that wiggle room anymore. They don't have the ability to dramatically decrease rates at this point in time. And because inflation is now raising so, so much, uh, they have to take this aggressive stance in actually raising rates into what the yield curve is telling us is an oncoming recession. So what that might do is that might actually dramatically bring in the time uh, when which the recession hits. So as I told you, historically, it's like one to two years. It could be a lot less than that, um, especially given you know those factors that John was just talking about. But I do just want folks to realize that it's not like you're not likely to pick up the newspaper next week and see, okay, U.S. in recession, markets have dropped 30%. Yeah, thanks, Adam, for that important clarification. I guess, you know, uh, matter of perspective, when, when we were managing, helping clients manage for their, their the entirety of their financial lives or, or lives which uh, need financial resources to, to provide for them, you know, we're thinking typically in the order of decades or multi-decades. So imminent, <laughs> you know, is, uh, you know, I, I think a year or two is, is, is plenty imminent when you, when measured against that. And, and, and you know, but, but to your point, uh, there, there aren't going to be any headlines uh, screaming recession. In fact, recessions are usually backward acknowledged. You know, in other words, when a recession is officially declared, it's usually declared uh, postscriptively like, hey, 10 months ago or 12 months ago, uh, we entered recession because the data lags and things like that. But very good point. I appreciate that, that clarity. All right. So I think you had a couple other charts here too, John, correct? Yeah, I want to share a couple of charts. And, and these are uh, um, shamelessly uh, a plug for John Hussman, who, who uh, you know, listeners to your channel, Adam, know that, you know, both you and and we here at New Harbor are, are very uh, strong admirers of his work. It's it's written. I'd say we have a kinship. Not, we're not just admirers of his work, but we have a, a kinship because of what he's he's doing. I mean, he provides an amazing service of public service of generously sharing his research, which is all database. It's not opinion. It's it's actually black and white data that can go back and statistically be measured. And you know, the reason I wanted to share these charts, they're actually excerpts from his most recent monthly market commentary and uh, appropriately entitled uh, quit while you're ahead there's definitely a vein of distinguishing between investing and speculating in his, la his latest uh, commentary and and we couldn't think that a more uh, appropriate analogy for the kind of markets we're in 
<clears throat> but the reason I want to share this is, is it, it really truly does paint uh, in, in, in pictures how extreme we are relative hit to history. And this is going back decades. The first chart uh, basically shows um, five different valuation metrics, all of which uh, he has shown in his work to be very statistically robust in terms of their predictive power in say subsequent returns in the market over say like the next decade, 12, 10, 12 years. Not very useful for short -term, shorter term projections of say the next several months or even year or two years, but longer term returns that most investors, true investors think about. Um, you can see that, the, uh, and some of these include, you know, Warren Buffett's infamous, you know, uh, market cap to GDP, as this, what he he has said on record to be his, his shorthand, simple way to gauge whether markets are over or under or fairly valued. Um, but but all of these measures are clumped at, you know, uh, well over um, uh, two or three times their their historical norms. Um, uh, the historical norm being 1.0 on the vertical axis of this chart. So by any measure, you can see we're way beyond where we were in 2000 at the tech bubble. And if this chart did go back to 1929, which only some of these measures do, you'd see we, we were even beyond pretty, pretty uh, uh, profoundly beyond where the markets were in 1929. And this chart um, paired with the next chart I'm gonna ask you to show up is a, is a more colorful and maybe uh, head spinning chart. What this, this next chart is, is a, scatter plot of, of, of four of those metrics that were on the other chart, what the actual 12-year uh, um, subsequent returns in the S&P were uh, based on a function of, of the ratio of to, to, to the historical norm. So if you look here in the, on the right side of the chart, you, know, you can see the market cap to gross value added measure, for example, which is the, in, in John Hussman's work, the most highly correlated and predictive measure um, in, in projecting subsequent returns over the next decade, you know, 10, 12 years, that's at 3.4 times. Uh, even the Schiller, uh, Schiller PE, which is less predictive, statistically speaking, that's even at 2.3 times its norm. But if you look at where this scatter part, plot shakes out, um, every one of those measures would predict a negative, and, and in some cases, soundly negative, annual average return over the next 12 years. All to say that, you know, with this kind of data, the kind of scenario that folks like Simon Hunt just laid out is not at all crazy. It's in fact, kind of almost expected, baked into the cake, if you look at the data. John, um, great walk through those charts. And I wanna put up one more from John Hussman here. This one he just tweeted out uh, earlier today. Uh, the tweet reads, the share of household financial assets invested in stocks ended 2021, so right at the end of last year. Uh, it ended last year at the highest extreme in history, and our most reliable measures are even worse than that. It says the last two times we got close to the number that we just hit, the S&P 500 lagged T-bills for the next 13 to 18 years. So uh, it's even perhaps worse than that scatter plot that you just showed uh, suggests, um, you know, we could be staring at almost two lost decades, at least relative to T-bills. And to be clear, he's saying T-bills, not treasury bonds. So these are the short-term, uh, the shortest term instruments that the U.S. Treasury uh, releases. Um, and, uh, you know, those, those generally have the, the lowest yields of the U.S. Treasury portfolio. Um, and, you know, Hussman is saying, he expects, uh, given the current data, uh, for stocks to underperform those T-bills for the yeah. next 
potentially 13 to 18 years, which is yeah, really saying great, something. Yeah, great point that John points out there, Adam, and thank you for raising that because that is at the very heart of the fallacy of the kind of, um, or fallacy is not the right word. I suppose that maybe the naivety or the or the um, selectivity of of the financial industry in general, saying you know don't try to time the market, you know don't worry, the market's always rebound. That conveniently misses the point that there are times that statistically are absolutely um, you know because because that, that that kind of you know um, you know uh, you know kind of uh, neutral positioning of, of most of the industry makes one feel like it's just always uh, average expect expected outcomes, that it's equally likely for the market to go up as it is down. So you're basically just flipping a coin. When in fact, if you really look at the data, there are statistically very sound measures that you can say, well, there are periods of time. They don't, thankfully don't happen all that often. They only happen, you know, used to be once a generation. Now it seems like every 10 years where things are so egregiously overvalued, you can basically predict with high precision that over the time frame that matters, um, the expected outcome, the expected return is likely to be negative with a high degree of probability. Uh, and that's why we take great issue with some of our peers who, who simply say, don't worry, markets will go up, they'll go down, but you'll end up okay if you have a long enough time frame. And sometimes that can be 15, 20 years or whatever, you know, per the, per the statistics that, that you just pointed out there, Adam. Well said, John. And, and you know, it's funny. Um, I think a lot of us are, are not excited that we're at this moment in time where the market seems so overpriced and yet so potentially vulnerable to all the issues that we've talked about today. Um, but in some ways, you know, you're saying, look, there are moments where you can look at the data and say, yes, things are at an extreme, right? And, and when they're at an extreme, you can actually have more confidence on where the future direction is going to be, right? So in some ways it makes investing for the, the longer term a little bit easier because you know at some point there's gonna be at least some reversion of the mean uh, to be helping you out here. I see you nodding as I'm saying this. Yeah, and again, but the, the trick is, is that the market is gonna challenge your belief systems the data is the data and it speaks loudly, but you're going to be seduced to abandon the data. And, 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 and it's a time-honored tradition of bubble markets to do that for folks. Great people end up getting devastated because of that very thing, that this time is different. The data doesn't matter anymore. And it always does. It's just a question of how extreme things get before it does. Right. Or they just get ground down. Right. We have a lot of people that have been sitting in cash for a long, long time because they were worried, rightly so, five, six, seven years ago and have just been sitting in cash ever since. Right. So uh, anyways, this is why we at Wealthion you know, beat the drum so loudly and frequently about working with a professional financial advisor because they can help you create a plan. And then they can help you, you know, they can help that plan anchor you when your emotions begin to get the better of you. They can bring you back to the data and hopefully, you know, help you make whatever decision you're going to make based upon empirical facts, as opposed to, you know, whatever your gut is, is trying to get you to do at any given moment. Um, all right. I've got a couple of um, exciting bits of news to share with folks here, John. Before I do, I just want to give you a chance to kind of wrap things up here. Um, you know, say often here, you're talking with folks daily who are wrestling with what to do with their money in this type of environment. Um, any uh, bits of parting advice for folks watching here based upon what you're hearing uh, these days from, from your clients and callers? Yeah, I mean, certainly directly to our clients, I'll say don't, don't ever feel like uh, you have to uh, 
struggle with, um, you know, kind of uh, frustration with the markets or, or whatever, you know, please talk to us about that. You know, we're, we're you know, we, we're um, first to say that we can't predict the future with, you know, with certainty, but we think the data gives one a strong edge in, in kind of having a, 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 a good probabilistic assessment for where things will likely be. But, you know, we, we you know, the, the worst fears are the ones that aren't talked about and addressed. So we, we welcome conversations with clients. You know, many of our clients are frankly um, very comforted and, and have no desire to jump in these markets. So I don't want anybody listening here thinking that um, they're all alone being, you know, we have many clients that are, you know, thanking us on a daily basis for not getting seduced into these crazy markets because they, they too understand or at least appreciate the data. And, but we're all human. We're all going to be tempted. And, and we work very hard at New Harbor to, to make sure that the data guides us, not our emotions. And, and it's not easy. We, we will be the first to admit it's uh, markets are, are very, <laughs> very uh, tempting places, seductive places that want, want to compel you to do the wrong thing. So just talk to us is the, the bottom line. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I'm sure I've shared on this program before. My wife is a therapist. Um, she's a marriage family therapist. And, you know, I know being a good financial advisor, John, kind of being a bit of a good therapist comes with the territory. But it's funny, the territory is the same, where um, it's it's the issues in a relationship, it's the issues in a person's life uh, that don't get put on the table are the ones that wreak the most havoc, right? So, uh, you know, what I'm taking from your comment there, which is, hey, if you're if you're watching this video and you're feeling alone, you know, with your concerns, your frustrations, et cetera, about the market. And, and you know, if you're wrestling with what to do with your money, um, just go take advantage of the free consultations that, that we offer through Wealthland to talk with a financial advisor, sit down with them for a half hour, tell them, you know, what's on your mind and they'll, you know, share with you. Uh, I'm sure they'll tell you, Hey, we hear the same thing from a lot of other people. So, you know, you're not alone, you know, you're not crazy. Um, but they'll also give you some, you know, feedback to consider and there's no pressure to work with them. It doesn't cost you anything. And I think at a minimum, you'll feel a bit unburdened and hopefully at least a bit more certain about your position after having done that. All right, let's get to the fun stuff, John. Um, real quick folks, if you uh, enjoy seeing great, uh, new minds on the program is the first time we had them on, uh, people like Simon Hunt, I'm always out there on the look for more of them. So please suggest them to me. Simon was a viewer suggestion. Um, but uh, if you want to see more like him, please support this channel by hitting like uh, the like button and then clicking on the subscribe button. And I'm actually really serious about clicking on the subscribe button because we are now at the time of this filming a little bit over 98,000 subscribers. Now, Wealthion started a little under a year ago. So we are on track to be able to hit 100,000 subscribers by our one year anniversary, but it's gonna be close. So if you're a viewer of this video, you've enjoyed this uh, interview, you've maybe you've watched a few of our videos in the past, but you haven't subscribed to this channel yet, please take a second and do so now and hit, help us cross that 100,000 subscriber threshold. By the way, when we do, YouTube actually sends out a nice little silver plaque about that. Uh, when I get that in the mail, I will definitely show it to you here on the program. I'll probably put it up on the wall because it's as much you, the audiences, as it has been mine. So um, super excited to hit that threshold. Um, also, we're going to be trying something new on this program next week with John, his partner, Mike Preston at New Harbor Financial, and with Lance Roberts uh, from Real Investment Advisors. Um, we are going to be doing a live Q&A on YouTube. So this is something we've done in the past for our conferences, 
where we usually end our conferences with an hour of live money Q&A, where you, the viewer, can ask any questions that's on your mind. Uh, it can be completely personal to you. Nothing's too small or too large. It's just whatever you care about most. But you can ask your money questions, and we will have our three seasoned money experts give you a live answer on air. Um, hopefully, that sounds exciting to folks. If it does, let me know in the comments section below, because if that goes well, we're thinking about making it a regularly occurring event, maybe quarterly, maybe monthly. We'll see what you guys want. Um, last, um, as you guys know, I was uh, traveling last week. Uh, things are getting very busy in a good way with Wealthion. There are going to be times where I'm not going to be able to generate all the videos every week that I want to. So I'm going to start trying to introduce some additional people on this channel who can help create a video when I can't. And we're going to be trying our first pilot at that. Um, next week, Stephanie Pomboy is going to be interviewing David Rosenberg. I'm really excited. Uh, David is somebody I've been trying to get on this program for a long, long time. Uh, he and Stephanie are good friends. Uh, I am sure that is going to be an amazing interview. But if uh, the combination of Stephanie and David sounds uh, exciting to you too, let me know in the comments section below. Um, and with that, John, um, I think uh, we'll wrap things up here for this week. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, whatever happens next from here, we will be tracking it together. Everybody else, thanks for watching. Look forward to seeing you all next week. Thank you, Adam. Uh, great to be here. Can't wait for the Stephanie and uh, David uh, segment. That would be great. It will be. All right. Take care, John. Bye. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right. With all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.